Hello, and welcome back to Holy Snokes. If you are joining us again, this is going to be our second episode. And today we are finally going to be talking about A New Hope. Yay! Yeah, how do you feel about this? You watched it. I did. A long time ago. Well, like a month ago, and I've already forgotten a lot about it. But I'm going to do my best, Mia. I'm going to do my best. I believe in you. Should we reintroduce ourselves? Well, I'm Mia. I am a 23-year-old nerd, and my only personality trait is Star Wars. Aw. You have more than that to offer the world. And, of course, the only person that would say something like that is her mom. I'm Leslie, Mia's mom. And as um, if you listened to the first episode, we're continuing our journey into the world of Star Wars as Mia explains it to me because clearly I have forgotten everything that I ever thought I knew. So here we are, A New Hope. So I feel like we should just do some quick facts, you know, just to set it up like, oh, what is Star Wars? All right. On May 25th, 1977, Star Wars came out. It was just called Star Wars. So it wasn't episode four, it wasn't A New Hope, it was just Star Wars. Fun fact. I was one, by the way. Anyway, that is a fun fact. But even better, its budget was $11 million. But in the box office, do you want to guess how much money it made? Oh, gosh. This is like an absurd amount of money. $500 million? $775.8 million. Wow. So clearly it was a block. Buster. I mean, I don't know what the exchange rate of 1977 money is to 2020, but Jimmy Carter was president then. Do you think he went and saw Star Wars? I don't know. Maybe. Do they let the president go see movies? Oh, but don't they have their movie theater in the White House? I bet he did that. I don't know. I bet Jimmy Carter is like a closet Star Wars nerd. I love Jimmy. I mean, I've never seen like Peanuts in Star Wars, so I feel like that'd be the only draw for him. When you said Peanuts, I thought of Snoopy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Not the actual nut or lejeune. Anyhow, thank you for that. You're welcome. I could not imagine what it would be like in 1977 to see this film. Like, 11 million, at least for me, doesn't seem like a lot of money for a budget because Marvel is hundreds of millions of dollars. But like 11 million sounds just impossible to make a film. What do you think was the most, where most of the money went to in A New Hope? I would say the special effects just because George Lucas had to invent an entire department to make this. Like him at Lucasfilm created ILM, which revolutionized this industry. What's ILM? It is industrial light and magic. Magic. Oh my gosh. But I was going to say, I thought it went to the garbage scene because there's so much stuff in there when they were smushing the walls together. So you think they spent $11 million on just junk? No. Not the entire budget, but I think a lot of it went to the junk in the garbage scene. I mean, clearly, none of the budget went to buying Carrie Fisher a bra. 
No, we already discussed that. There were no bras in space, so why should she wear them? But her lip gloss was on point throughout the entire movie, so maybe it went to lip gloss. I mean, she was like a senator, a princess, so you gotta look good. But I don't think like bras would be considered like a staple. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. 1977 was a different different breed of sexism, so... Different time, different time. But like, I could not imagine going to see Star Wars and the John Williams score blaring you awake with the opening crawl. Like, it still scares the crap out of me every time I see the movie. I feel like I remember people freaking out over Star Wars and seeing when like the opening would play. Like, that was like a huge bro moment. Again, I was only one, but I do have a crazy memory when it comes to stuff like that. So, or maybe I'm just making it up. I don't know. But I feel like maybe there I've seen clips of when the opening credit plays and John Williams' music comes on and everyone's like, yeah, Star Wars. I'm not going to read what it says because although it's very important, I don't care. I mean, I still lose my shit over the opening crawl. I know you do. Like, it just just chills down my spine. I just love it so much. But I'm going to read the opening crawl because I think the fact that George Lucas starts a film with being like, you're going to (laughs) read is such a bold move. Literacy is important. And it's a lot to read. Yes. So it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, Rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Emperor's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her spaceship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. The balls George Lucas has. To be like, kind of like talking down to the audience and being like, there's all this story that you just don't know. Like all this stuff happened and you're just kind of jumping into it. And I know, but you don't know. I love that. I don't know. I was listening to you and I'm like, there's a lot going on. And who's the bad guy again? I don't know. So much, so much. It's, it's just a lot of like, there's the Galactic Empire. There's this thing called a Death Star. There's Princess Leia. And then it just throws you into the movie. Yes, it does. So I just, good for him, you know? And good for you for being so excited about it. About words. 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 Love it. Mm. So the movie starts and like Vader has his like first entrance. He's just, that entire scene, I could imagine in 1977 it would be good. But I just laugh because I think it's hilarious because stormtroopers are just like falling over. Vader's just throwing guys around. Like it just, it doesn't intimidate me. But I think that to me is the first indicator that this is supposed to be a kid's film. George Lucas himself has said these movies, this franchise is for children. Yeah. As a mom, I don't see how they're for children. Yeah. Oh, fully. Like I think about Clone Wars, which it's TDY7. The amount of the headings, just straight up murder, 
there's political espionage. There's literally a whole arc where it makes it canonical that Jar Jar Binks fucks. How is that for kids? What did you just say? Jar Jar Binks what? There is an arc in Clone Wars that basically solidifies that Jar Jar Binks has sex. So you did say what I thought you said. Yeah. All right. Oh, God, that's so gross. Ugh. Why well, we got to start off gross? Anyway. Well, I'll let you think about that. I don't want to. But, like, Leia has the balls to just lie to Vader to his face. That's a power move. Maybe the no bra is to symbolize freedom for Leia. She's not going to be held back by an uncomfortable bra. She doesn't need it. I think you can make that argument. I think Carrie Fisher herself has taken that as a negative, not a positive. Well, how old was she when she filmed this? Like 18 yeah. or something? Like she was a child. Gross. There, See, there you go. And then just yeah. think a couple years later, she's wearing a gold bikini. And then now for the rest of her life, people are going to see her like that. I wouldn't mind being seen as somebody that looked good in a gold bikini. So like the first 20 minutes of this film is literally just C-3PO and R2-D2 just wandering Tatooine. I wouldn't say I would leave the theater. (laughs) But if I thought that this movie was just going to be a bitchy droid yelling at another droid that doesn't even speak English... And just complaining and complaining and complaining. I feel like, all right, what kind of war is this? There's so much sand. And it's like, how did they really expect us to believe that they were able to travel up and down all those hills and not get it in their gears? I don't know. It seems highly unlikely to me. But again, it's not real, like you just said. So you just have to go with it. I understand in this idea of George Lucas, his concept for Star Wars was this idea of like a lived in future. So like Space Odyssey is this idea of like a perfect future. Everything's clean. Everything is um, just the height of technological advances. I thought you were going to say the height of luxury. Yes, it was the height of luxury. Clearly Star Wars is not the height of luxury. Because everything just looks sad. But it's like worn in. It's constantly used and you know if you think about Tatooine where it is clearly a shithole yeah scum and villainy are just running around this planet like that is an interesting concept but at the same time like would a seven-year-old child seeing this understand that no no do I as a 23 year old enjoy that yes I think that that is like ooh, yummy it's so interesting but once again like it just shows that the balls George Lucas had to just make this already with such a small budget, with such a bizarre concept. Like, I'm so grateful he did because obviously we now have this, but at the time, I would be very skeptical. When we meet Luke, he's so whiny. So whiny. And then his aunt, right? It's his aunt. She's constantly calling Luke, Luke, Luke. Luke. And it's like, well, no wonder you're a little bitch. You're treated like a baby. That's a great Aunt Beru uh, impression. What's her name? Aunt Beru. At what point 
point do they say her name? They don't say it in the original. They say it in the prequel. Uh, so you gotta stick around a couple more years. Okay. But he's such a baby. And it's hard to, like, think about people that idolize Luke Skywalker. I, I think I rolled my eyes so many times in that first scene of him with his uncle and everything and buying the droids. I was like, dude. He just wants to go to Tashi Station to get some power converters. That's all he wants. All he wants. So desperate. He takes the droids in. We see Leia's message. Immediately is like, I want to fuck that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Like, it's, especially now, knowing what we know, it is so creepy. Like, it makes my skin crawl. Of just how thirsty he is for Leia. Maybe she looked like an angel to him. And he was like, this angel with the big cinnamon buns on her head is what I want. See, I just think that he's the bitchy little boy. So the first time he sees a woman, he's like, oh. I just don't know if it's maybe because this film came out 20 years before I was born. Like, literally 20 years before I was born. But I just can't tell if, like, the movie itself is just dated, so it makes it, like, silly, or if, like, the sexist, childish scenes are, like, supposed to be written that way. Mm. I think, I mean, now that we're talking about it, I think they're supposed to be written that way. Because I remember other movies that came out during that time that wasn't as overtly sexist. I think, like you said, you know, Leia... Leia stands up for herself, and that should be something that we all kind of cling on to. When I was little and we would play Star Wars, I was definitely a boss. I was the boss lady on the playground. So, I mean, that carried over into my life. So perhaps George Lucas should be celebrated for being the first, what is it, galactic feminist? Is that right? What's the word? Galactic? 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 Yeah, that word. Feminist. I'm pretty sure anyone who has, like, a women's studies degree would argue with you on that. Yeah. But you know me. I was looking for the bright side. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, with the the childish scenes, like, I think about the Vader-Obi-Wan scene where, like, they finally fight. It is the most unimpressive fight scene I have ever seen in my entire life. But, like, it means so much because there's a line that, you know, like, I feel like it's pretty famous for Star Wars fans, which is, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And then he just raises his his lightsaber up and is like, get me. And then Peter <laughs> just swipes and his body disappears. And as a kid, I was like, you could have defended yourself like it doesn't make a lot of sense but re-watching it I realized that because he spent the past couple of years on Tatooine basically learning how to commune with the dead and to find the secret of immortality so when he says that line he's telling Vader that if you kill me I will become one with the force I will still be able to train Luke like just because I'm dead doesn't mean that Luke's training is going to stop this is all going to happen, regardless of what you do right now. I was like, damn, Obi-Wan, like, that is some deep shit. 
Especially because then Vader's like, whatever. And just kills him. <laughs> I gotta go get a drink of water. And I'm gonna stomp on his his robe. <laughs> just to make sure he's just dead. Just to make sure he's dead. Well, see, that's interesting you say that. Because when I first heard that, I thought that it was more of like when a, a guy breaks up with you and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be haunting your dreams, MFR. Like, like you're going to feel so bad about breaking up with me. I'm going to be around all the time. That's well, I feel like it is because if you, of course, we didn't know this in 77. But if you think about the Jedi and the Sith, where the Sith are so focused on staying alive. They surround themselves with objects and greed. And it's all about possession. So keeping as much of yourself alive, keeping the things that you want, the things you love near you, and using the force to prolong that. So death is like, death is it. So you want to keep cheating death. That's why Mm. Palpatine died and then didn't die is because the Sith are all about prolonging it. The Jedi believe that life is a natural flow. Very like Zen of it completes the circle and the force. And they shouldn't mourn those that that die because you should celebrate their life because they've moved on to the next chapter. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, just because Obi-Wan dies, it doesn't mean anything in the story. It's just him going to the next chapter, him utilizing what he's learned, being in isolation on Tatooine all these years. That's something that Vader can't see because he's been trapped in this shell of a man for the past couple of years. And has just been struggling to stay in the dark. But if Obi-Wan dies, it could help Luke become a Jedi, train, find Yoda, and then turn Vader to the light, thus fulfilling the prophecy. Which, like, for one line to literally bear the weight of an entire trilogy, once again, if George Lucas had told me that, I would be super doubtful. But now I'm like, oh my god, like that's so deep. What if Darth Vader really was a nice guy? And he just saw Obi-Wan as somebody that was getting in the way of his relationship with Luke. Maybe he really wanted to play catch with Luke. And but he doesn't like, know that Luke is his son. He doesn't? Uh-uh. You find out in a comic. Like I would know that, Mia! Well, I'm trying to educate you, woman. Uh, Vader hires Boba Fett to find out information about Luke Skywalker. He just knows that it's a kid from Tatooine. Like, that's all he knows. So Boba Fett goes down to Mos Eisley, does investigating, ends up, like, fighting Luke. Did you say Rick Ashley? No. Where? He goes where? Mos Eisley. That's the town where the cantina is. Okay. So he goes and does some investigating. Never gonna give you a... And shut up. And... Never gonna make you cry. Vader is like, I want you to kill him. Like, take him out. But then, like, Boba can't. And so he goes back to Vader and he's like, I failed. But I found out the kid's name. And Vader's like, all right, what's the kid's name? And he's like, Skywalker. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and then Vader's like, mm, oh, shit. Okay. The deal's good. Like, you can get out of here. So then that's how he finds out. 
that some friends arrived, that Padme didn't die with their babies, because that was the story that was told to the galaxy, is that Padme died, and so did her kid. But didn't he know he was having twins? No. So he, Oh, my God. He knew that, like, she was pregnant. The, the med droid was ordered to, like, keep it a secret. We find that on the, right, the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Not that you would read that. I don't even know what Sith are. I, we're going to have to get to that in yeah. an episode so you can explain to me what that is. Yeah, that would, that would take too long. Yeah, I think Vader, at least in this movie, is just being, like, just over it. Well, it, all right, so let's pretend that's true. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to pretend it's true. They, you know, Luke and them were all watching Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight. But that's the thing, is then Luke has that emotional reaction to Ben's death. Yeah. It's so overdramatic. Like, why didn't he get up and do anything about it when they were fighting? Like, hey, look over here. And that created a distraction or something. I mean, Luke doesn't have a lightsaber. If I saw, are you telling me if you saw a six foot five man donned in full black armor with a red laser sword? <laughs> you'd be like, come here. Let me get you. Let me put it back to you. If you were Luke, and I was Obi-Wan fighting a guy with a six-foot laser sword. Would you just let it happen? Wow, you're pausing way too long. I'm just thinking logically. Like, I don't have anything uh, to fight him with. He had shoes on. He could have taken off one of his shoes and thrown it and hit Darth Vader. Vader is fucking scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm smart enough. To know when to fight and when not to fight. Whatever. And this is a moment where you should not fight. Always fight. Fight. The, fight. Because the stormtroopers are coming after them, so they got to get the fuck out of there. Well, speaking of Luke killing people, I read online the other day, which we know all things online are, are true, true, that Luke is has been calculated to have killed over, like, a million people because or three million when he blows up the death star his kill count is everyone in the death star which that's how many people worked on the death star because it's a big ass space station it's not like five people are running it do you think there's a human resources manager on the death star that like hired and fired people i think so i mean somebody had to handle health insurance well it's a government like it's a functioning government that has like tier systems for who governs planets there's the military so there's got to be a whole division on that i'm just saying if they're hiring i'm in need of employment so even though it's a fascist government i can just like look the other way do you think they did team building exercises I think for the stormtroopers, maybe. <laughs> but I don't think for, like, Let's the Let's go on a ropes challenge. It's probably something like, hey, um, Vader, like, is coming with his Inquisitors. Like, let's go stand and welcome his ship. And then we'll have, like, a pizza party afterwards. Do you think Darth, like would, Darth Vader would have done a trust fall with some stormtroopers? I mean, based on... <laughs> based on how he's treated his Inquisitors, which are, like, his force-wielding assassins, he's, like, killed them because they, like, mess up once. So (laughs) I feel like the Empire is not a forgiving government. But I would say, like, from a human resources standpoint, if it's just, like, a 
guy doing janitorial duties. I'm not going to kill him if he doesn't clean a toilet. They're probably like, hey, you're going to get a reprimand um, in 30 days. It's going to get off your your record, and then you can transfer somewhere. Very, like, theme park. <laughs> you can transfer to another restaurant. Yeah, you can transfer to, like, a different division, a different ship. <laughs> but I don't think George Lucas is focused on that. I think he's more focused on, let's talk about the financial ramifications of the Galactic Empire after the Clone War and how they've been funneling money secretly. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Which I also like that, so. Capitalism. But then that's the whole thing. So then they meet up with the Rebel Alliance, and they just have, like, ships and all these supplies, and there's all these people, which, like, we learn later through, like, Rogue One. Um, wait, so- wait, wait, I get it. You learn that Darth Vader and all his people have been supplying the Rebels so that they could have a fight. No. Oh. But you learn, like, we learn the origins of the Rebel Alliance, but if you saw this for the first time in 77, you'd be like, where the fuck are they getting all these supplies? Like, who makes all the uniforms? Who is the seamstress that makes all these uniforms? Why do they all have to wear the same uniform? Isn't that restricting just, like, the Empire to be like, you have to wear this denim jumpsuit? (laughs) If you want to be in the Rebel Alliance, you gotta have this bowl cut. It was the 70s. Those were hot back then. Like, the clothes in this movie are so dated. Like, Baru is literally wearing, like, a denim jacket. Everyone has, like, a shag haircut. Yes. I love it, but it's definitely, like, influenced the style of Star Wars, and it's like, it's clearly the 70s. Like, this is not what space looks like. Power to the 70s, baby. It's some power. Because <laughs> then... Sorry, I didn't mean to get off on the tangent of human resource management, but as a member of SHRM, I think it's very important yeah, that Sherm both wants you to and I really us. want, really understand how HR backs everything. I think the HR rep would have their hands full with the Battle of Yavin because, like, a lot of people die. Yeah, like, how how do you file an incident report for each one of those people? Yeah, would HR file, like, death certificates for them? Because they're not, like, a gov... Like, the Rebel Alliance isn't a government. But you gotta, like, have someone that's, like, keeping track of how many pilots are being blown up. Well, like, even bringing us back to the end of A New Hope, when Leia gives this medallion thingies i'm sure someone had to like go into like a locker room and say i need three necklaces for these guys and one hairy guy like see again we'll see like we're jumping a little ahead but like the throne room there are so many people in that room more than 50 i don't have an exact number but it's like too many people just to be standing around when the empire is on your tail. Yeah. To just give two guys and like a big talking dog <laughs> a medal. He doesn't even get a medal. True doesn't get a medal. He doesn't get a medal? That's the whole thing is that in Rise of Skywalker, Maz finally gives him a medal, which is Leia's medal that she pulled from her cold dead hands. Oh my gosh. And everyone's like, yay, Chewie got a medal. It's like, Chewie didn't get a medal. Poor Chewie. Yeah. Chewie. Chewie's been kind of hanging out this entire movie. Like, since he doesn't speak English, he can't tell Han how sexist he's being. But they're able to communicate. Yeah, like, they know what he's saying. But there's no subtitles. 
So we can't see Chewie being like, hey, Han, shut up. Well, considering I'm partially deaf, I have to have the subtitles on for all these movies, as you know, which I know you don't like at all. But the best part is when Chewie does speak and the poor person that had to do the the subtitles is like, I'm just going to say grow and so it leaves it up for a lot of interpretation. It does. Much like all of our movies that we're going to watch as we go through this journey. I mean, these movies are wild, man. Wild. Like, I would say for New Hope, 15 minutes of it are just two droids walking around. The middle chunk is just Luke being whiny and the three of them, uh, Han, Luke, and Leia, arguing. The last half is the Battle of Yavin which is their plan to, like, blow up the Death Star. And it's just a lot. It's weird because, like, there's no music. Which for a John Williams film, I'm like, how dare they deny him a beautiful score? But it's literally just, like, pilots talking. You're like, Red 7, there's a TIE fighter on your side. And then they'll, like, show it. And then, yeah, then they're pewing. Pew, pew. And then they're like, oh, I'm hit. And it's like that for five minutes. And then finally... They get into the trench and Luke's like, I got it. I got to use the force. And everyone back at the base is like, don't use the force. (laughs) Use your computer. He's like, no, I got this. If I was in the, like the war realm and the person that could destroy this is like, nah, I'm just going to like close my eyes. I got it. I would be getting off that plane right now because the death star is coming to kill me. But then, yeah, those up the battle of the Avon is really important not just because it destroys the death star but in terms of the timeline think of it biblically so we have b before christ mm-hmm. and a after christ battle of the Avon becomes zero so it's now zero bby so it's before the battle of the Avon. oh you've said that out loud before the bby so thing. that's Okay. Now we have this timeline. So, like, I've mentioned it, like, this Clone Wars are 22 BBY to 19 BBY. So now we can start placing dates. They don't mention that at all. Like, this is all from, like, books and secondary literature. But now we have the base of our timeline. So now we know New Hope is zero. And on the scale, in the negative and the positive, that all the events that are going to happen in the Films, the TV shows, books, comics, video games, board games are all going to happen on this timeline. Got it. So that's why it's also important. It's kind of a boring fight, in my opinion, just because it feels like a bunch of fat guys flying around in X-Wings. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you like the Battle of Yavin, good for you. And then the movie just kind of ends. Yeah, throne room, they get their medals. Luke's wearing like a gold jacket now. And, but it just ends. And you're like, okay, that was fun. So like when I watch New Hope, like I don't know anyone that's actively says that that's their favorite film. I would say the people that do claim it for the nostalgia. Mm. I'm just... Being like, oh, I was 
seven years old when I saw the first Star Wars. So it's, it has a special place in my heart. I really like those stories because I could not imagine what the hype must have been like when this movie came out. But as someone who grew up in the prequel, sequel trilogies, has had the TV shows, has been immersed in all the other media, video games, stuff like that. This is not my favorite film. Yes, I would say I'm glad I've rewatched it, but I'm ready to move on. Yeah, like I appreciate it because without it, we wouldn't have this. So I watch it for that, for that kind of appreciation. Um, Sometimes I'll watch it to remind myself that this really is a kid's film that's based off of concepts of hope and family and belonging and all those things that I think sometimes the fandom loses sight of. But I'm not like obsessively watching it like I do other films. Mm-hmm. I will say, I still want to know what kind of lip gloss Princess Leia had on that whole what show. What if that was just Carrie Fisher's lips? No, because in Empire Strikes Back, it's not as glossy. I need to know. So if anyone out there knows what type of lip gloss they had on Carrie Fisher for that film, let us know. But next time, we are going to be talking about Empire Strikes Back which is a fan favorite. So I'll be very interested to see what you have to say. You haven't already. We do have an Instagram at Holy Snokes Podcast. If you also want to follow us, I am at Kylo underscore cutie, where we'll be posting more updates on the podcast. You can share, like, get the word out about this podcast. But until next time, may the force be with you. (laughs) say it Mia and also with you bye guys bye bye